Thank you, Hannah. Good morning. Welcome to the branch. Uh, I'm Jacob. If you don't know me, I'm one of the elders here, and it's always a pleasure to be with you uh, working through God's Word. So if you haven't already, please open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 18, because that's where we're going to be all morning. Uh, we're talking about the parable of the unforgiving servant today. So first, I want to tell you a story. And you may have heard about this at some point. This is a kind of an older story. It's from 2006. There was a firefighter named Matt, and he had just finished a 24-hour shift. And while he was driving home, he heard a sound that he describes as the most god-awful sound he'd ever heard. You see, he had crashed into the car of a mom, a pregnant mom, and her 19-month-old daughter, Faith. Faith survived the crash, but her mom and the unborn child did not. The mom's husband, his name was Eric, he was a pastor, and as he grieved this loss of his family, he worked through it with different groups in his church and family. And one day a girl in his student ministry said to him, I can't help but think what the driver of the car is feeling. This made Eric realize that he should pray for firefighter Matt. And it was also the perfect opportunity to practice the forgiveness that he had preached so many times before. When Eric was interviewed about this, he said, you forgive as you have been forgiven. It wasn't an option. If you've been forgiven, then you need to extend that forgiveness. Well, through that forgiveness, Eric and Matt have developed a friendship. They meet regularly, they share meals together, they go to church together. And when they were asked about their relationship, Eric said, we recognized that when we first started meeting, it was unusual, but we knew it was God. You see, because of the forgiveness that Eric offered, Matt was able to live with what had happened. I want to ask you some questions this morning about forgiveness in your own life. Some things to think about as we dive into the parable. Because let's all be honest, forgiveness is a really hard thing. So what makes it so hard for you to forgive? How many times are you willing to forgive someone before you just move on? And why is it that when we have been wronged, it can take us so long to actually accept someone's apology? Or on the flip side, what makes it so hard for you to ask for forgiveness? Why does it take us so long to apologize? How many times have you had to ask for forgiveness for repeated sin? While you think about those questions, uh, on the screen will be the outline where we're headed today. Uh, it's kind of broken up into three parts. We're first going to look at the question in verses 21 and 22. Then we're going to go through the story, 23 to 34. And finally, in verse 35, we'll see the answer. So first, the question. How forgiving do you, I need to be? Read with me in verse 21. It says, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? As many as seven times? And Jesus replied, I do not say to you seven times but 77 times. So we start with Peter asking Jesus about forgiveness. Specifically, how many times is he to forgive before moving on? So the question Peter is asking is essentially, how forgiving do I need to be? That's the question I want us to ask ourselves today. I'm curious, have you ever asked this question before? It's kind of like, how many times is it okay for your friend to lie to you and you continue to forgive? When is enough enough? But why is Peter even asking this question here? 
What is going on that leads him to this? If you were to go back a few verses in chapter 18, we'd see that Jesus has spent most of this time talking about sin and how it affects our lives. And then in verse 15, he gives this instruction. It shows us how we must deal with sin because sin needs to be dealt with. We can't just brush it under the rug. This is countercultural to us today, but it still applies to us. You see, he lays it all out, these different steps that we are to take when dealing with a Christian brother or sister in sin. We have to do these things, whether we want to or not. But you see, the goal that Jesus is telling us here is to bring about repentance in our brothers and sisters. It's not to expose them to the world. It's not to gossip about them. In our society today, that's the first place people go, right? If you wrong someone, you are destroyed publicly in minutes or hours sometimes. On Twitter, I've seen people go from being well-known and liked to hated just by saying something wrong, faster than you can even see what's happening, right? It's crazy. It's crazy how fast we turn on each other. But the instruction Jesus gives here, he starts out by saying, bring your concerns to your brother or sister between you and him alone. Then if he doesn't listen, you take one or two others as witnesses and so on, only gradually expanding this circle of awareness. Never should our goal be to broadcast the sins of our brothers and sisters to the world. Sounds hard, doesn't it? This is hard because it means that we have to care more about, what, about helping one another become more Christ-like by turning from our sins than we do about our own personal desires for justice. It's hard for us today, and it seems like it was hard for Peter. And in light of being told that he must confront sin in his brothers and sisters, Peter comes and asks this question that we saw in verse 21. Lord, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? As many as seven times? And Jesus replied, I do not say to you seven times, but 77 times. You see, in Jewish tradition at the time, forgiveness was limited to three times. On the fourth time, there was no forgiveness. So Peter is trying to be generous. He's saying, well, what about seven times, Lord? Is that enough? He knew that Jesus was more merciful than other Jewish leaders, so he was trying to go above and beyond and offer seven. I mean, I don't know about you, but I don't like confrontation. I'm sure there might be a few of you that do, and that's all right. But I'm guessing for most of you, it's not your favorite thing. I don't know if Peter liked confrontation or not, but I could see myself asking a similar question, right? Okay, I have to confront my brother with his sin. That's hard enough. And then they repent, and I have to, I'm supposed to forgive them, right? Well, how many times do I have to do that? Is it three? Like, is it seven? When is enough enough? Like, how much do I have to endure? If you're a parent, could you imagine only having to forgive your child three times for disobeying? Or even seven? Like, come on. <laughs> what about having to ask for their forgiveness when you get frustrated or yell at them? I mean, I know I would have been done a long time ago. In any relationship you've been in, friends, roommates, girlfriend, boyfriend, Imagine a three strikes in your out policy when you ask for forgiveness. How many of us would still have these relationships? How many of us have not even forgiven the first time? Or would we even have any relationships? Probably not. Now some of you here have undoubtedly been hurt in ways that are unimaginable. 
ways that have left you deeply wounded in a place where thinking about forgiveness is extremely difficult. I don't want to make light of that. And I'm certainly not up here saying, just forgive, because it's not that easy. So please don't hear me saying that today. I do hope that through this message, and even more so through Jesus' teaching, some of you would find it a little bit easier today to consider forgiveness. So while we are talking about these difficult things, I'm also talking about more day-to-day things, little things that we hold on to. They build into grudges, right? Things that happen at work or at home or at school, and we just want to ignore them, push them under the rug, right? Those things, they fester and they destroy unity. They destroy our ability to build each other up. Clearly, in our passage, Jesus has a much bigger view in mind than seven times, doesn't he? He says, I do not say to you seven times, but 77 times. Some interpretations even say 70 times seven times. But which number it is doesn't matter. It doesn't matter because Jesus isn't really giving a limit on forgiveness. Forgiveness is not and cannot be limited by a number. That's what he's saying here. There's no limit. One commentary I read described this phrase as a typically graphic Jewish way of saying, never hold grudges. So to be clear, Peter is asking how often or how many times is he required to forgive his Christian brother when he repents of his sin? How many times? But Jesus doesn't answer the question with a simple number. He answers with this figure of speech, meaning there's no limit. And we'll see as we look at the rest of this passage that Jesus gives us a story to illustrate his point, and then at the end, he points us to the true answer to Peter's question. Before we go there, though, it will be helpful to us to first define what forgiveness is and what it is not. For starters, the word in this, to forgive in this passage means to let go or to release. What does that look like? Well, one of the best definitions I could find is in Thomas Watson's book, Body of Divinity, and he asks this question, when do we forgive others? And then he answers it by saying, this will be on the screen for you, when we strive against all thoughts of revenge, when we will not do our enemies mischief, but wish well to them, grieve at their calamities, pray for them, seek reconciliation with them, and show ourselves ready on all occasions to relieve them. So it looks like we resist taking revenge, no longer seek to repay evil for evil, And not only do we wish them well, but we do not celebrate their failures. Proverbs 24, 17 says, Do not rejoice when your enemy falls, and let not your heart be glad when he stumbles. Forgiveness looks like seeking reconciliation, coming to our enemy's aid, praying for them. Matthew 5, 44, But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Let me ask you, how often have you prayed for someone who has hurt you and sinned against you? This is what forgiveness looks like. It is not simply the absence of unforgiveness. It's a heart posture of seeking all of these things continuously. And a few things that forgiveness is not necessarily. It is not necessarily forgetting about what happened. It does not mean the pain goes away. Forgiveness is not turning a blind eye to sin. It does not mean remaining in an unsafe environment. Forgiveness in many cases is not quick. It takes time. 
It's a process that you have to work through. And sometimes we say we've forgiven someone, right? And yet we still hold that grudge. We bring it back up to them. This should cause us concern as to whether or not we truly have forgiven them. Forgiveness is an ongoing thing, and we have to keep working at it. So now that we've defined forgiveness and what forgiveness is not, we have the story. Let's look at what Jesus has to say about forgiveness and unforgiveness. We're going to break this parable up into three smaller parts. Uh, verses 23 to 27, you have the king and the servant, or God and me. 28 to 30, you have the servant with servant, or me and another. And then 31 to 34, we're back to the king and the servant, God and me again. If you read with me, starting in verse 23. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. When he began to settle, one was brought to him who owed 10,000 talents. And since he could not pay, his master ordered him to be sold with his wife and children and all that he had, and payment to be made. So the servant fell on his knees, imploring him, I have patience with me, and I will pay you everything. And out of pity for him, the master of the servant released him and forgave him the debt. So we have a servant indebted to the king, and it's time to pay his debt back, all 10,000 talents of it. How much is that? A talent was the highest monetary unit of currency in Judea. It was equivalent to 6,000 denarii, and one denarii was the equivalent of one day of work for the average worker. So one talent would be 6,000 days of work, and 10,000 talents would be 60 million days of work, and if you keep doing the math, that's 165,000 years, give or take. It's inconceivable how one could even be that far indebted, right? Let alone the impossibility of repaying that. It would take so many lifetimes. I didn't do the math on that one. So he certainly couldn't pay his debt. So the king's going to sell him and his family to cover it, right? Well, how much is that going to cover? Like, none, basically. So what does he do? He pleads his case to the king. He says, if I'm going to repay you if you're patient. Patient for 165,000 years? It's a lot more patience than I have. But somehow, despite the fact that paying everything back isn't even possible, the servant finds favor with the king. And out of pity for him, the king forgives the debt completely. It's gone. He doesn't just reduce it to a payable amount. He completely absolves the servant of it. The king absorbs the debt. He takes the loss. You could say that to forgive is to take the loss, to let go of the debt. I mean, have you ever loaned someone money thinking it would be paid back? Say I'm at Play It Again Sports with Jaden. He's my son. He's sitting over there listening. And he finds a new bat that he wants to buy. But he doesn't have enough money, so he needs to borrow $100 from me. He's going to pay it back, right? So he gets the bat with my money that I've loaned to him. And when we get home, he doesn't have $100 to pay me back. Where does that leave us? Well, either he has to work it off somehow and pay me back the $100, or I take the $100 loss. I'm out, 100 bucks. The money doesn't just reappear, right? Someone has to take the loss. So in this case, the king and the servant, 
The servant's debt was unpayable. He couldn't work it off. He couldn't sell anything to pay it. It was so much that it couldn't be repaid. The only way that it could be resolved was for someone to take the loss. So who took the loss here? The king did. The king had mercy on the servant and absorbed his debt. Sounds a lot like what God did for me and for you, doesn't it? He took the loss on the cross and absorbed our debt of sin. And we see the story continue in verse 28. This is a description of us with others, right? Read with me. But when that same servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. And seizing him, he began to choke him, saying, Pay what you owe. So his fellow servant fell down and pleaded with him, Have patience with me, and I will pay you. He refused and went and put him in prison until he should pay the debt. This servant has just been given the greatest gift of his life. He has been shown mercy beyond imagine for a debt that he could never repay. And then he goes on his way and finds a fellow servant who happens to owe him a hundred denarii and asks to be repaid. The man can't pay, so he makes a plea. It sounds exactly like the first plea we heard, right? Have patience and I will repay you. Well, a hundred denarii is only a hundred days wages, right? We talked about that. It's not insubstantial, but this servant could work it off, right? He could pay him back in a hundred days or so. So how does the first servant respond? Does he give this, his friend the same mercy and forgiveness that he was shown by the king? No. Not even close, right? It says he seized him and he began to choke him and threw him in prison until the debt could be repaid. This is so disturbing. How does he respond like this? Clearly, he doesn't understand, not even remotely, how magnificently he had been forgiven. The mercy that he had been shown by the king, and therefore he didn't extend that same mercy to his fellow servant. Does this sound like us with others at times? We turn back to the king and the servant, or God and me, in verse 31. Let's look at that again. When his fellow servants saw what had taken place, they were greatly distressed, and they went and reported to their master all that had taken place. Then his master summoned him and said to him, You wicked servant, I forgave you all the debt because you pleaded with me. And should you not have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? And in anger, his master delivered him to the jailers until he should repay his debt. Is the king being unjust here in how he's treating this unforgiving servant? No, he's not. Because you see, the king's anger is rooted in the fact that the servant had not extended mercy, the same mercy that he'd been shown. His response to his fellow servant is so disproportionate to what he had experienced, and so the king has to deliver justice. Notice he doesn't sell him, he just throws him in jail. He can't repay this debt, no matter what. He's in jail. He receives justice instead of mercy, because he didn't grasp the mercy that he had been shown, that he had been offered by the king. So finally, we come to the place in this text where we get an answer. Jesus gives Peter an answer, right? 
Peter had asked this question, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? Essentially, how forgiving do I need to be? Right? He offered seven times, and Jesus responds, no. This is a story of forgiveness. Forgiveness should be limitless. There is no limit to how many times you should forgive your brother and sister. Keep on forgiving. The unforgiving servant was shown a magnitude of mercy in being released from his debt. So much so that it's hard for me and probably for you to even imagine how a king could do that, how he could release him from that. And yet the servant's heart was not changed. He took that forgiveness for granted. He didn't understand what he'd been given and in turn was not forgiving or merciful to his fellow servant. He was angry and aggressive over such a small debt compared to what he'd been forgiven. His response was unjust. It was unmerciful and unforgiving. And if we continue in verse 35, Jesus finishes with, So also my heavenly Father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. Peter asks, how forgiving do I need to be? Jesus answers, forgive your brother from your heart. The answer isn't a number. It's from your heart. As many times as your brother or sister needs to be forgiven, forgive them from your heart. He's talking about a heart posture, compassion, not something that can be counted in numbers. Love for one another. This is a whole new level, right? I mean, it's hard enough to do the act of forgiveness, but from the heart, how can I do this? Where do I get the power to let go of it in my heart? For those of you sitting out here that haven't accepted Jesus into your life, well, I'm really glad you're here because you see this unbelievable story of a king forgiving his, this huge monetary debt. You know, it may be shocking. Maybe you've never heard it before. Maybe it's inspiring or it's brought you to a place of awe and wonder. How could the king do this? But I want to tell you, it is nothing. It is nothing compared to the forgiveness and mercy that you are offered through Jesus. You are in debt to God because of your sin. You need God's forgiveness. Just think about every little thing that you have done in your life that would cause you to feel shame. Tiny little moments when you lashed out in anger. You slandered your friends behind their back. You told a lie or half-truth to a loved one. You can never repay that. Your debt of sin, it is more than 165,000 years of wages. And our God, at an unbearable cost, he gave his own son so that when you believe in him, you are forgiven of your debt, forgiven of our sins. And you know, we don't even need to work it off to gain that. All we need to do is ask for his forgiveness. Just ask for his forgiveness. And if you've already done that, if you're a believer, and if you've come to this place and you're here this morning and you're a Christian, how do you forgive not just in action, but from your heart? You see, Jesus is telling this story to Peter so that he enters into the story himself, so that he can see how he is like the unforgiving servant, so he can see how much he's been forgiven. And in this story, where the king took the loss for his servant's debt, if you enter into the story like you're supposed to, you will realize the true and better king in this story is Jesus. 
And the true and worst servant is you. That's you and me. We are the unforgiving servant in this story. You see, the king, Jesus, he left the throne and came to earth, not to settle accounts, but to pay our debt. He came here as a man, lived the perfect life, and yet we persecuted him. The power to forgive from the heart, it comes from Jesus, from recognizing what he did for us, the magnitude that we have been forgiven. He gave us life. Romans 6.23 says, For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus. He gave us life when we didn't deserve it. It was a gift. I mean, I've sinned. Anyone else here? We're all sinners, and yet we live. How? How do we prevail over the insurmountable debt of our sin? Do you struggle with feeling unclean when you fall into the trap of sin? Do you wonder how God can see you in a way that still makes you lovable? It's hard. Sometimes it's really hard, isn't it? But here is the good news. This is the best news ever. Jesus has covered our sin. Jesus has washed us clean. Jesus has paid our debt, and it cost him his life. For the wages of sin is death. Whose death? Not ours. You and me, we're alive here. So who paid our debt? Who took the loss? Jesus. Jesus took the loss, and that loss was his life. Not merely 10,000 talents, but his life. The debt of sin had to be paid. He gave his life to pay it so that we might live. He took the ultimate loss. Do you see that? Do you see? Do you grasp the debt that has been absorbed for you? Psalm 103 continues saying, As far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. Well, have you ever thought about the fact that God has never needed forgiveness? I mean, how crazy is that? He doesn't need forgiveness, right? He's perfect. He has no idea what that feeling is like. And yet, he is the most forgiving. He's the most forgiving. I mean, we know what it feels like to need forgiveness, and yet we're not that forgiving. We make people wait for forgiveness or work for forgiveness. He forgave us freely. He forgave us the biggest debt ever. Compared to what we have been forgiven, we suck at forgiveness. I mean, we have trouble letting go of someone cutting us off in traffic, or the restaurant puts mayo on our burger and we get outraged about it, or when a friend doesn't reach out when we think they should, or when our kids do something for the millionth time that we've told them not to do. We snap, right? We hold grudges, we lose patience, we don't extend the same grace and mercy that has been shown to us over and over and over by our God. You see, God has it in his nature. He has the resources of compassion that we don't have on our own. But as we grow in our understanding of that compassion, the compassion that we have freely received from God, we grow in our compassion for one another. And in light of that compassion, Let's look back at verse 35 one more time. It says, So also my heavenly Father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. So also my heavenly Father will do to every one of you. What is he talking about? 
Well, he's referring to the king delivering justice to the unforgiving servant for not showing mercy to his fellow servant, the same way that the king had shown him. He threw him in jail. He cast him out of his presence. This is a word of warning. If you claim to be a Christian, it's probably not something that we want to hear or think about or read, but we need to. To be clear, he is not saying here that you can lose your forgiveness. Once you have your forgiveness, you can't lose it. What Jesus is saying here, he's saying that if you have an unforgiving heart, like the servant in this parable, if you do not desire to be forgiving, if you hold bitterness in your heart towards those that have wronged you and hurt you, if you are holding on to that and refuse to budge towards forgiveness, what he's saying here is rather tragic because he's saying that this is a symptom of someone that doesn't grasp the magnitude of their debt and how freely they've been forgiven by God. And as such, they can't presume to have received God's forgiveness in the first place. The unforgiving servant didn't grasp how much he had been forgiven, so he was thrown in jail. When you truly believe that you have been freely forgiven, you will strive to forgive those that sin against you from your heart because of how fully God has forgiven you. That's where the power comes from. The power to forgive from the heart, it comes from God. From realizing and recognizing how much we have been forgiven, we get the power to forgive from our heart. That should be our response. Do you really see how much you've been forgiven? How will you respond to that? I mean, sometimes forgiveness will come easy, right? Your kid breaks a glass while being careless. It's just a glass. No big deal. But a lot of other times, forgiveness is hard, isn't it? It's a struggle. It takes time. And I want you to know that if you're struggling with forgiving someone, if it is taking time, maybe longer than you even want it to, that's okay. That's not what he's talking about here. He's talking about a heart posture that is completely cold to forgiveness. You see, forgiveness is an ongoing process. It does take time. And if you're sitting here and you're thinking of someone that you need to ask forgiveness from, what are you waiting for? Go to them, repent, seek forgiveness. It could be a roommate that you've been taking for granted. Seek forgiveness. Maybe you haven't been completely honest with your girlfriend or boyfriend or husband or wife or mom or dad or kids or name a relationship. Don't wait. Seek forgiveness. If you're a parent, maybe you do need to humble yourself to your kids and apologize and seek forgiveness. Why don't we do this? Why don't we ask for forgiveness when we know that we should? Is it pride? Is it embarrassment? We don't want to admit that we were wrong, do we? Ask yourself what is holding you back from seeking forgiveness. And on the flip side, you might be sitting here and someone has asked for your forgiveness, but you're withholding. Why are you withholding? Is it pride again? Or is it a desire to make those that have wronged us feel pain? Do you want justice, whatever that may look like to you, more than you want forgiveness? Maybe you're striving to come to that point of true forgiveness, and it just takes time to get there. 
Maybe it's a parent seeking your forgiveness. Maybe an organization or a church hurt you. An employer, your best friend. Whoever it is, what is holding you back from extending the same grace and mercy to them that God has freely given you? What is holding you back? You see, our God is an awesome God. And if you're a Christian here, he forgave us a multitude of sins. In our parable today, the second servant's debt is still a substantial debt. He would have to work to repay it. But in comparison to the unforgiving servant's debt, it was nothing. In comparison to our sin against God, this person's sin against me is nothing. It's nothing. Guys, we should be the most forgiving people on the planet because we know how much we have been forgiven. Are we known as forgiving people? Are we known as a forgiving church? We need to realize that we are each other's brothers and sisters in Christ. So we should be the most forgiving community we know. Just think about, think about the gospel presence we could be in this town, in this world, if we were defined by forgiveness. Think about the life that we have been given through Jesus. Our debt of sin is an imprisoning thing. And when we are forgiven, we are free to live. Jesus gave us that freedom. I want to leave you with this quote from Ray Ortland. It will also be on the screen for you. He said, The greatest moment of your life will not be when you dig that pound of flesh out of the person who wronged you. The greatest moment will be when you feel so loved by God that you are able to forgive that truly wretched person so that maybe they too might start to live. Will you pray with me? God, you are a good, good father. We are so thankful that you have absorbed our debt of sin, Lord. We thank you for sending Jesus to pay that price, for teaching us through these stories, Lord. It's an amazing gift that we've been given from you, and we pray that through this we would become more forgiving people, a more forgiving community, Lord, that we would love one another the way that you have loved us, that we would see in our hearts how much it cost you, and we would worship in awe and wonder of what you have given us, God. We pray in your son's precious name.